Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. So we begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Philip Ryan, Independent Newspaper's political editor. And today, in a special episode of the Indo Daily, we have an in depth interview with Tornish de Leo Radker, in which he shows a willingness to enter a transfer pact with Fianna Fáil. If this government continues, uh, and if it ends well, uh, well then I think you know that's an option we'd be putting we'd be putting before the Irish people. He also reveals which minister is safe in the cabinet reshuffle. So he's keeping his seat at the cabinet table then. Well, he certainly is. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got me on that one. Anyway. <laughs> he confirms there's no way Fine Gael will enter government with Sinn Fein. They're a high tax, anti trade, anti jobs party uh, that would wreck our economy. And I think cleaning up the mess could take ten years and speaks candidly about the challenges of being a politician. Nine times out of ten when people come up to me, it's to say something nice. You know, one person out of ten has a smart comment for you or, you know, wants to be abusive towards you. Okay, so welcome, Tornish Leo Radker, to a special edition of Indo Daily. And look, let's, let's just get straight into it. Um, the, the first question I want to ask you is kind of an easy one. You're going to be the Taoiseach soon enough. You think uh, around the Friday or Saturday after December 15th, when uh, Michal Martin comes back from the EU summit, you're going to have the guts of two years to, to put your stamp on, on this government. What are, say, like the three main things that, that you'd like to get done? Well, you know, first of all, that has to happen, and mm. I have to be um, elected uh, as Taoiseach when when it all convenes uh, before the Christmas break. Um, and uh, I'm always somebody who's doesn't like to tempt fate or assume that's going to happen. So there's a bit of work to be done uh, in making sure that we have uh, the votes uh, to allow for uh, the changeover to happen, and at least constitutionally a new government to be formed. Um, and I think the opportunity for me to uh, set out uh, what the priorities are really is then. It's um, uh, at that time and it's not too not too far away. Um, but I think it is fair to say that um, this is a government that has a programme for government and the programme for government is very clear as to what our priorities are and my objective will be to make, to make sure that we fulfil them. But you'll be fulfilling Fine Gael's priorities surely so... There must be things that you that, that you have your eye on as Fine Gael leader, let's say, rather than the Taoiseach so far. Well, you know, there is it's a program for government mm. agreed by the three parties, and I'll be Taoiseach of a three-party government. And you have to always remind yourself that you're head of a government uh, and not just head of a party, and that has to take precedence when you hold that particular office. Um, but you know, one of the biggest concerns people have now is inflation and the cost of living. Of course, it's going to be a priority to uh, tame inflation and bring the cost of living under control. Um, You'll have seen uh, from the budget measures that it was all about putting money back in people's pockets and helping them with rising prices. Among the things you'll see kicking in into effect in January are reductions in income tax, increases in pension and welfare, reductions in childcare. And I'd like that to continue if we can afford it into future budgets. Really good to see uh, childcare costs falling by 20-25% in the new year. I'd like that to 
go to 50%, as Minister Gorman has said, uh, in the subsequent budget, if we can afford to do that. Very important for families helping them with the cost of living, but also helps more people get into the workforce as well, which is really important. Uh, and of course, the whole issue of, of housing and home ownership, which, as we all know, uh, is an enormous um, issue for people. Um, I'm someone who believes in home ownership. Um, most people in Ireland do own their own home, uh, but we are in a very different situation. A decreasing amount of Yeah, that's the problem. Uh, and, um, you know, when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, most people actually did own their own home. That's not true at the moment. And that's something that I really want to turn the corner on uh, to see home ownership rising again. I think housing for all is a very good plan. We need to implement it. If anything, accelerate the implementation. And I think Dara Bryan as minister is making real progress. Just to give you two stats, and I promise not to bore you with stats, um, probably about 28,000 new homes being built this year, um, more year than any year for 10 years. Uh, 15,000 uh, people bought their first home in the past 12 months, more than any year for 15 years. But we need to do much better than that again. You know, I'd like to see us building 40, 50,000 houses a year, and I'd like to see twice as many first-time buyers um, getting their first home. And that would change things for the better in our society. One thing I'd say about uh, Dara Bryan and Dara Knight spoke about um, uh, uh, all of these issues after Finnegate had her special meeting on it. And one thing that I was very encouraged about was that he was really open to new ideas. Um, and one of the ideas that he was very open to and very supportive of, for example, uh, is increasing the income limits in relation to social housing because we have a lot of people now who are um, working um, but maybe not in very well-paid jobs and they don't qualify for social but they housing. Don't, but you don't have the social houses to, to put them in at the same time. That's right. Um, but of course, at least while you're waiting for social housing, you would qualify for HAP. Uh, we have a lot of people now who are just above the limit for social housing and get no help uh, from the state and are really struggling to pay their rents. Um, but we are ramping up the building of social housing. We'll build more new social homes sure, this year than, than any year. No landlords given. Well, you know, you know, a bit of credit where credit is due. You know, people often talk about all the social housing that was built back in the 80s or 70s or 20s by the Free State. We'll build more social housing this year than any year in the history of the station. I appreciate that's uh, in the context of a much larger population, but, you know, things are happening. Just in the context of the, the changeover again, um, and I don't expect you to get into any details with this, clearly, because you have to tell people before you make decisions, but you, you have a big reshuffle um, decision to make in a, a few weeks' time. And as one of your own colleagues pointed out to me today, that um, the, the entire cabinet that you have there, apart from, I think, Helen McEntee and Hildegard Nocton, are, are people who were originally appointed as ministers by Enda Kenny. Do you, do, do you intend to, to make a, a significant sh shake-up, to, to show a brand new face of Fianna Gael, or are you just going to stick with the same ministers, many of whom were behind the disastrous campaign that um, in, in 2020? Well, I haven't made any decisions um, on that yet, uh, and you'll appreciate that um, when I do make decisions on that, the first people who should hear uh, are the people affected. And but is in your mind to have a refresh, a reset? And, you know, give, give a new face to the Fine Gael's front, front of house team. You know, I think the, um, the ministers that we have are performing very well. Um, don't want to read too much into opinion polls, but I saw the independent poll at the weekend. You know, the, the, I think 60 or 70 percent of people um, mentioned the Fine Gael minister as the people, people who they thought were the best performing in the government. Uh, so a lot of them are performing very well. Uh, and uh, I'm very happy with the work they're doing. Mm, so you don't see any, did you know the potential there for maybe junior ministers or backbenchers to, to move up the chain? There's not a, not a lot of room this time around. Look, there's always potential for, for some change, but, mm. um, you know, these are colleagues and 
a lot of colleagues understandably are a little bit nervous in mm. the run up to that date and I think it's important that uh, if I do make any changes that they hear from it from me first and not not through hints in the media. So I appreciate why you have to ask the question, but I think you appreciate why I can't really answer it. Okay, let's jump on to what is happening in the tech world at the moment. And we just keep seeing these job losses um, everywhere across various different platforms, various different companies. You you don't seem to be overly concerned by this. You don't think it's uh, what is being described as tech wreck. You think it's just a little blip essentially and everything will rebalance itself eventually. Well, I am concerned and my concerns are, first of all, for the people who are being made redundant. You know, it's a couple of weeks from Christmas, um, a terrible time to hear that your job is going to be gone um, and a time of economic uncertainty as well. And, you know, I really want to give people who are getting that bad news that they're going to be made redundant uh, the assurance that we've engaged with all those companies. Um, They will uh, comply with the law and they're happy to do so. Uh, These are serious companies with big HR departments, very professional. So there will be information and consultation for at least 30 days uh, and there will be enhanced redundancy and exit packages for people. Um, And then the state will step in to help with job search, uh, to help with um, people who may want to set up their own business, uh, to help with people who people may want to return to education or training. So, you know, we're going to make sure these workers are looked after. There was a there was an issue, though, with Twitter, was there not, that they they didn't go through the the proper processes and notify the government about Mm. massive job losses in their company. They went about in in an unconventional way. by email, um, but they didn't actually break any laws because okay. none of those redundancies have actually been affected. So the law is that uh, you have to give people 30 days notice before the redundancy has taken effect. So they haven't actually uh, breached any any, any rules, um, but they went about it in not in the best way, quite frankly. Uh, and I think Stripe and Facebook um, might have handled it a lot better. Um, I do think we are seeing a downsizing of the tech sector. Um, it grew phenomenally over the past couple of years. Uh, during the pandemic, everything went online uh, and um, take Meta, for example, almost doubled its staff in three years. What we're now seeing is a resizing or a downsizing of the sector. Um, I think Twitter's an outlier in terms of the scale of job losses. Most companies were seeing them reduce their headcount by between 5 and 15%. And I think that's probably what we're going to see. Mm. And, and, and just on that on the expansion of tech and it was a big thing we saw during the pandemic was people moving from say like the hospitality industry into tech jobs maybe support mm. jobs if, if it wasn't even the the more technical side of things and and i kind of i think this has spurred you on uh, to introduce your work from home legislation or right to request mm-hmm. to work from home legislation and and i think you're making some significant changes to the to the legislation as it was first envisioned yeah that's right so um received cabinet approval just today to proceed with the right to request from working um, but instead of being a standalone bill, it's going to be incorporated in the uh, work-life balance bill, which Minister Gorman is bringing through the doll at the moment. It's already at report stage. Um, and that bill gives parents and carers uh, the right to request flexibility around their working hours and working conditions. And we're going to insert an amendment into that bill, which will give the right to request remote working uh, to all workers, um, but on the same basis. So instead of having these 13 or 14 reasons for refusal, they're gone. Uh, The model we're going to follow is the model that exists in his bill already, which derives from a European directive, uh, which means that uh, if an employer receives a request uh, to allow remote working, they have to take into account the best interests of the employer, the business, and also a code of practice that will be drawn up by the social partners. And there is a meaningful right to appeal to the WRC uh, if that's not followed. 
uh, and we've discussed this approach um, with, with IBEC and IPTIC to through the Labour Economic Employer Forum and there's broad support for this approach and the good thing is it means that instead of having two leg- two bits of law around flexible working we'll have one single bit of legislation much more straightforward for workers and employers um, and then also a good chance that we can get, get it enacted before the Christmas break. Um, but, but you know, what's important I suppose for me is is, is I set out the ambition to create five new workers' rights, um, protecting tips and gratuities, that's done. Uh, statutory sick pay, that's done, comes into force on the 1st of January. The new bank holiday uh, applies from February. Um, improving redundancy rights for people laid off in the pandemic, that's done. And this is the fifth one now. Um, that's going to get done. Uh, and obviously we have the move to the living wage, which is uh, an important part of that programme too. You're the, you've been the enterprise minister now for two and a half years um, since you became tarnished. And this is one of your own party colleagues said to me earlier today that described you as the most anti-enterprise minister for enterprise in the last 25 years. And I think that was in the context of not only just this, the work from home policy, but also, like you say, the, the mandatory sick pay, the highest minimum wage in one of the highest minimum wages in Europe. Um, we also obviously uh, are abandoning our low co- corporation tax rate to 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 join up with a, an international agreement. And then how do you take that charge? Because Fine Gael traditionally would be a party of enterprise, but a lot of your thing is more focused on the worker rather than on the enterprise itself. Yeah, I, I don't know who that's from. I'm sure you're not going to tell me. Um, but no. I think uh, that's very old fashioned thinking um, that um, low pay and insecure jobs and poor terms and conditions uh, are pro enterprise. Like that's just so not true. Um, we have more people at work now than ever before. Uh, 2.55 million people. Um, we have more businesses being established than ever was the case in the past. We have record levels of investment last year, record levels of trade. You know, businesses doing well. And during the pandemic, you know, any business will acknowledge the uh, enormous support that they got from government through wage supports, through mm-hmm. the Chris scheme to survive. So this has been a very pro-enterprise government. Um, and I've been a very pro-enterprise minister. And I think the business bodies would actually recognize that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is an old-fashioned thinking. And yes, it exists in my party uh, that paying workers well and giving them decent rights is bad for business. That's a totally old-fashioned, outmoded way of seeing the world. And uh, it's not one that I share. You know, I come from the tradition of my party, which believes in the social market economy. Uh, We believe in the market economy. It's the best way to create wealth. Um, But the social market economy is the government making sure uh, that uh, that wealth is is shared more fairly and that there is a threshold of decency below which nobody should fall. Uh, And I believe work should pay. Mm. And that's a big part of what I'm doing. I think we should move on to one of your favourite topics um, to talk about, at least, if not the topic itself, is, is Sinn Féin. One, uh, one of your favourite topics too, Phil, <laughs> when, you're, when you're not talking about Fine Gael. <laughs> we have to talk about you as well. Um, so you saw at the weekend, there's obviously, I don't know if it's a change in policy or maybe they're just saying the, the quiet bit's loud, in that Sinn Féin, Mary Lou Macdonald, saying that she doesn't compare the acts of the provisional IRA to the acts of, say, ganglong criminals in her own constituency and her former councillor, Jonathan Dowdall. Uh, we, we've seen what victims of the IRA mm. feel about that. And I was just wondering your, your own thoughts. Well, I think what's most important aren't my thoughts and feelings. It's the thoughts and feelings of the victims and their families. And I thought Anne McCabe, the widow of uh, Garda Jerry McCabe, who was killed by the IRA, uh, spoke very eloquently on this. Um, and, you know, my view is that the killing of a Garda is a crime. Um, Sinn Féin have been trying to rewrite history. They've been trying to make out that the provisional IRA's campaign of violence was 
only targeted at legitimate targets in their mind, you know, British soldiers and police officers. You know, the IRA killed Gardaí, they killed Irish soldiers, they killed prison officers, they killed children, um, they killed women and buried them in bogs so they couldn't be found. And what I want Mary Lou MacDonald to say, I want her to say that the killing of Jerry McCabe was a crime, the killing of Austin Stack, the prison officer, was a crime, the killing of Irish army soldiers was a crime, and the killing of uh, two children in Warrington uh, in a shopping centre bombing uh, was a crime. And I would not like Ustava Taoiseach, who wasn't able to say that killing a guard or killing a child uh, is a crime. And if she wants to say it was a war and they were they were war crimes, fair enough. But she has to be able to say that. I don't think we can have a Taoiseach in this country mm. who's unable to say that the killing of innocent children, guardy, prison officers, members of our defence forces is not a crime. Mm. And are you concerned in any way that the Taoiseach's view is very much soft on, on Sinn Féin and he, he's very much of the view now if if, the, if their policies can align after an, a general election that he'd be happy enough to go into power with them. Yeah, you know, in fairness, I don't think the Taoiseach is soft on Sinn Féin. You only have to watch uh, the exchanges on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday between... But his, his stance was a lot stronger before. It was it was very clear. It was the same as your own. Mm. You can't do business with them. Now, your stance is still you can't do business with them, but that, that does not Taoiseach Fianna Fáil or Micheál Martin's stance anymore. Yeah, and, and that's a different position uh, that Fianna Fáil is taking, and we respect their right to have that position. Uh, as a party, Fine Gael has worked well in coalition with, with Labour, with independents, with Fianna Fáil and the Greens. We know how to make coalitions work. We know how to make them last, last but um, there is a line which we won't cross, and we will not consider coalition with Sinn Féin. Um, oil and water doesn't mix. It's not just about the past, um, although those issues are important. Um, it's more about the future. Um, they're a high-tax, anti-trade, anti-jobs party uh, that would wreck our economy. Um, they're Eurosceptics. Um, they're populists. Um, they're nationalists uh, of the worst sort, uh, often sectarian. Uh, and we just don't need those philosophies in government. And in the unlikely event that they do form a government or lead a government, we're going to need a party that's going to stand up to them, that's going to hold them to account, that's going to get them out and clear up the mess. And that's the role that we'll play. So you'd be more happy to go into opposition than than to to join them if that if it arose. I, I, I'd be more happy to to lead the next government. Um, yeah. But if that was the choice before me, um, and Sinn Fein was in a position to lead a government, we're going to need a strong democratic opposition party that's able to hold them to account, uh, restrain them, um, curb their excesses, um, replace them, and clean up the mess. And I think cleaning up the mess could take ten years. Okay. Um, just another one on, on Sinn Féin. Um, over the last couple of weeks, Owner Bryn has been out. Um, comments he made at a music festival down in Roscommon, the Night and Day Music Festival, were around the fact that, you know, he didn't like the work of Chief Economist uh, John McCarthy. He said if he had a choice, he would have sacked him. He'd call him an ideologue. And you came out yourself and, and, and described that um, as really chilling. It were your words. But then at the same time, in September 2015, you might remember a letter that you wrote to your own officials in the Department of Health where you said, I have no reason to believe this is around the trolley crisis. I have no reason to believe it won't be worse than last year. And that really means a head or heads have to roll. The people or Doyle or Taoiseach can take mine, mine in the election or thereafter, but we'll, we'll need an official executive head to roll before that or there is no accountability. What's the difference between you saying that, writing that down and saying that to your officials and, and what he said? And he, what he said is chilling, according to you. Yeah, I, I think they're fundamentally different um, because what he was saying, and I accept that he's apologised and withdrawn those remarks. What he is saying is that he would uh, sack somebody for not giving him the right advice, for not giving him the advice that he wanted to hear. What I was talking about was sacking people for non-performance in their jobs. 
I think it's a very different thing. Um, and it does happen in the public sector, by the way. I know people believe it doesn't, um, but there is a process to be followed. But that's a process that's followed when somebody doesn't perform in their job. Um, that's very different to saying that if you don't give me the advice that I want to hear that aligns with my philosophy, that I'm going to sack you. I, I think they're very different things. But in this instance, the, uh, you can I think we can both agree that the trolley crisis hasn't been gotten any better. Ha, ha, did anyone get sacked in, in that instance? Well, not in that instance, well, but I, heads I, I, think, I think it's fair to say that there has been a lot of change of personnel since then. And um, some people resigned, some people retired early. Um, there have been dismissals, by the way, in the HSE, and uh, a lot of people, a lot of new people have come in. That doesn't make the problem go away. Mm, but again, at the same time, putting, in, putting that in writing, saying heads are all threatening people's jobs, is really no different to, to saying that you would sack someone. I think the fundamental difference is he was saying that he would sack somebody for giving him advice he didn't want to hear that didn't align with his philosophy mm. or ideology. I was talking about following a process by which you would dismiss people for not performing in their jobs. I, I think there's a difference. Maybe you don't, but yeah, that's I think it's a pretty big heads, difference. Heads would roll, I think, is quite a quite a, um, a strong term though, to put in a letter to your own officials. But look, that's I don't think many heads do roll really in the civil service, but... We'll move on. Um, look, looking on from the the next section we were going to look at is just around what happens next after the election. If you're going in the election, I know you you feel that you're going to you're going to win seats. Have you earmarked where you're going to win seats? Do you feel that there is a possibility that there's there's areas you might there's also the possibility of losing um, some of your sitting TDs ahead of you? You've seen a little bit of that already. Um, what's the plan going into the next general election? Yeah, well, first of all, I think the election's very far away. Mm. Uh, it's going to be 2025 or, you know, late 2024 at the earliest. Uh, so the most important thing we have to do if we want to gain seats in the next election, and I believe we can, uh, is to govern well and to focus on getting the job done, whether it's on the cost of living or inflation, whether it's on jobs in the economy, um, whether it's on, on health or housing, whether it's on uh, rural Ireland, um, making sure the children have the best start in life. Um, helping the squeeze middle, reducing tax, all the things that we want to do. So, you know, to me, the most important thing over the next two years is focusing on doing a good job in government. And that's how you increase your support. And that's how you uh, do better in the next election. Just on the, the tax, there's always been a, one of your policies from a few years back, which you've made work on, it has to be said, is, is increasing the entry point for the top rate of tax to 50,000 euros. Is that mm. still something you aim to do. Do you think that can be done ahead of the next election? I know we've got up to 40 and beyond at the moment, mm -hmm. but, but can it go further? Uh, it, it can. Uh, so it is Fine Gael policy to um, get to 50,000 to say that nobody should pay the highest rate of income tax um, on income below 50,000. Um, that's our party policy. It's was in, in the manifesto. We've got to 40 with this budget, which is, as you said, meaningful progress. You, you know, the average kind of working couple, both earning 40,000, I think they're about two grand a year better off now under Pascal than they will be under Pierce, you know, so this is real money for um, uh, middle income people. And our objective is to get to 50,000. Whether we can get there by the next election or not, I don't know. Um, you know, there's only two budgets left between now and the next election. So, you know, I can't guarantee that mm. we can get to 50, but that remains our objective. What, where would you be aiming to get to? Well, what's in the programme for government is, is indexation. Mm. So uh, that will depend on a, how much incomes rise, uh, average incomes rise, and secondly, whether we can um, afford it, because uh, I, I wouldn't be in favour of engaging in extra borrowing to fund tax increase, ta tax reductions. That's a very different policy. And should you go into the next election and things don't work out and you don't increase your seat numbers, is that it for you? Or would you keep, would you want to stay on as Fine, Fine Gael leader? 
uh, look, that, 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 that's, that's, that's years away at this stage. Um, but what I can say is my objective uh, in the next election when it comes uh, is that we should strengthen and grow the centre of Irish politics. Um, I want uh, Fine Gael to lead the centre of Irish politics and to do that we do need to gain seats. Um, we need to increase our first preference up from 21% to something closer to the mid-20s uh, and, if, and if we can do that we will Is that we, ambitious we though, is it? To, you want to get to 25% in the polls? Well, I think it's realistic. Um, you know, uh, there was, I suppose, one time where we broke 30% and that was the 2011 election and was after the Troika arrived in the country and was after we'd been in opposition for 16 years. I think 25% is ambitious and realistic. Uh, it's the kind of support we got in the last local elections. It's the kind of support we would have got in the election in 2016, but crucially would allow us to gain a lot of seats um, uh, with the help of transfers and also a larger doll, but crucially because of an increased first preference and would put us in a position to uh, lead the next government if we can find sufficient partners to do so. And Pascal Donoghue has, has suggested before um, that going into the next election, one of the propositions on the table will be to, to re-elect the, the sitting coalition. Is that something you envisage happening? Well, again, a lot can happen in, in two or two and a half years. Um, my, my expectation is that we will contest the next election as an independent party. Um, but if this government continues, uh, if it um, gets its work done uh, and if it ends well, if it doesn't break up for some reason and ends well, uh, well, then I think, you know, that's an option we'd be putting, we'd be putting before the Irish people uh, that we would seek to um, continue with the current partners that we have in government. Um, but of course, that's subject to them wanting to uh, and secondly, subject to us winning sufficient seats. I don't envisage that we would contest the election as a government, if you like, as as a three-party package, uh, I think we'll contest the election as independent parties. And you know, if it was to look at, if you're going to try to get re-elected, you have to point back to the work that you've just done. So it will be work you have done with Fianna Fáil and the Greens. Is, is that causing a risk, though, of, especially in some constituencies, that TDs almost cancelling each other out if they're if they're looking after the same vote and if people can't really differentiate between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael anymore, will that be an issue? You know, if, if you think about it, you know, just to give you give you an example of uh, two constituencies, very different constituencies, um, and of course there will be boundary changes between now and then. Uh, in Dublin South Central, uh, there is no Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael TD, even though we had enough votes between the two parties, but we didn't transfer to each other. Um, take, for example, Roscommon, East Galway, no Fianna Fáil TD or Fine Gael TD. There were enough votes, but we didn't transfer to each other. So even without um, there being an increase in first preferences, just the two centre parties transferring to each other can bring about gains. Okay. And the, at the top of the, like when you went into this uh, government, when you were first appointed rather to, as a Fine Gael leader and Taoiseach, you had a lot more people around you, the people who were part of your campaign, the people who supported you. A lot of them, when we, we look at um, the many that have left, the likes of Michael Darcy, Owen Murphy, uh, some who've returned to the back benches, uh, they've lost their ministries after the 2020 election. Is there an element of you feeling isolated at the top of the party at times because of uh, because you've lost all that support for various different reasons, of course. Oh, far from it. Uh, like you mentioned people there who, who've, you know, moved on uh, into other careers and so on. Um, you know, and, and we are a smaller parliamentary party than we were then and we have fewer ministers than we had then. Um, but, you know, the people I have around me now uh, include people who didn't vote for me, for example, uh, as leader. Um, the most obvious person being Simon Coveney. Um, he was my competitor uh, when I ran for uh, leader. I don't think I could have had a more loyal, um, more trusting, more competent, um, more capable deputy than 
than anyone could imagine in the past three years. So he's keeping his seat at the cabinet table then? Well, he certainly is. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, you, 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 I, I, you, you managed to get me to say Don't that, worry. so I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not, um, not going to, not going to, yeah. you got me on that one. Anyway. <laughs> but, you know, you, 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 you gain allies. And, of course, one of my strongest allies as well, um, when I did run for leader, was, was Pascal Donoghue, who was, I think everyone agrees, performed outstandingly as a minister. Mm. Not so well as a director of elections, though. It was a tough election. Uh, it was tough for all of us. Okay, uh, just on the more personal side of things, the the licensing laws have changed. You've been a big supporter of that. Fine Gael have been a big supporter of that. Um, is it like a, is is this from your own experience? I know you like to travel. You, you you go to European cities. You go to the states. You like to go to nightclubs, maybe in those places. Is, is that from from experience? These things around Europe and other parts of the world that you've seen, like we need to be able to embrace this. Yeah, well, I'm I'm well into my forties now. I wouldn't yeah. be often going to nightclubs, but um, but like one that one thing that I am very aware of, obviously, you, you know, when you when you do travel to other cities, um, there is a better nightlife, and a lot of people who work in the nighttime economy, um, you know, DJs, club club operators, you know, uh, tell me that um, the laws are different in other countries and are much better, and um, I don't see why uh, in our cities we shouldn't have as good an offering. When it comes to nightlife, when it comes to the nighttime economy, you know, as Lisbon or Amsterdam or, uh, you know, any European city. And what Mr. McIntyre now is proposing is new licensing laws, much more modern licensing laws that actually uh, allow um, nightclubs to operate and operate. You know, I don't know what the age difference is between you and me, but when I was in college, uh, you know, in the late 1990s, you know, there were venues like the Pod and the Red Box. There was the Tivoli, you know, mm. international DJs came to Dublin or, and came to Cork. That's not so much the case anymore. And there's lots of reasons for that. But one of the changes which I think would make a difference is, is a change in licensing laws. So you were in those places watching Carl Cox and whoever else, Paul Van Dyke. I was I was taken to, to I was taken to see a camera was fat by Sim or Carl Cox, but I was taken to see him in the late nineties when I was working in a bookshop and I was a student and I had no idea who I was going to see. And uh, obviously it turned out to be a big star. But that doesn't really happen as much anymore. Those venues are, are kinda gone, um, which is a pity. Um and um uh, and again, I accept it's about planning as well and lot, lots of other things. I think the city council could be a lot more progressive around mean time use and nighttime use and so on. Um, but a big part of it is the licensing laws. And I think that's one of the things that Minister McIntyre wants to change and uh, it'll be changed for the better. Mm. And when you're out and about, like you do get recognised. We've seen people put things up on TikTok. We've seen people throw uh, milkshakes at you and things like that. Is that difficult? Like I know we only probably see a small part of it. Is there? Mm. Do you get a lot of that when you're out, when you're in out trying to enjoy yourself, not even doing work, just... Ah, look, like, I accept it comes with the territory mm. um, when you're a high-profile figure. And it's not just politicians. It can happen to anyone who's involved in public life. Um, nine times out of ten when people come up to me, it's to say something nice. Um, it's to thank me for the work that I do. It's very often to say to me that they felt very reassured by um, the work that I did during the pandemic, um, the speeches that I would have made at the time. And, and I really appreciate that. And, you know, one person out of ten... Uh, has a smart comment for you or, you know, wants to be abusive towards you. And mm. I just kind of accept that kind of happens once a week. And that's that's part of the price of, of being a politician. But the upsides outweigh the downsides. But it's, many it's, times it's got quite serious at times as well, though, with protests outside your own home and, you know, guardy increase mm. in security and things like that. Like, it, it, there does seem to be something there. We've seen it in the US. We've seen it in the UK as well, the, the threats yeah. to politicians. Is that something you think is growing here or something that we need to be mindful of? Um, certainly the Garda Commissioner believes it is a growing threat. Um, 
it has been a long time since we've had a serious assault um, or the assassination of, of a politician in Ireland, thankfully. Um, but the Guardian Commissioner does take the view that there are credible threats uh, from, you know, extreme extremist activists um, and some paramilitary groups, and that's why he stepped up the security for ministers. So it is a real worry. You know, we have seen um, across the water two MPs killed, uh, Joe Cox and David Amos, um, and I just hope that we're not going to see that here. Okay. Listen, thank you very much, Tanish, for coming in to talk to us in uh, the Endo Daily. Well, I'm Philip Ryan, and today's show was produced by Mary Carroll with sound by Gavin Hennessy. To hear more of our award-winning journalism, visit independent.ie or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow, and leave us a review.